Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Why is he here? By what power does he do the things that are recorded in the Gospels? And where does Jesus' authority come from? These are some of the questions that the writer of the Gospel of Luke set out to answer at the beginning of the Gospel narrative. Answering the question of who Jesus is and where his power comes from, and by what authority he acts, can help us understand who we are, who we are in God's plan for this world, and where our power comes from. Let's pray. Spirit of life, God of love, open our hearts and enter in that hearing your word of love, we may become your love for others. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from Jeremiah, book in the Old Testament, chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 4 through 10. The Lord's word came to me. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Ah, Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a child. The Lord responded, don't say I'm only a child. Where I send you, you must go. What I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them because I'm with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand touched my mouth and said to me, I'm putting my words in your mouth. This very day I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Our second reading is from Psalm 71. I've taken refuge in you, Lord. Don't let me ever be put to shame. Deliver me and rescue me by your righteousness. Bend your ear toward me and save me. Be my rock of refuge where I can always escape. You commanded that my life be saved because you are my rock and my fortress. My God, rescue me from the power of the wicked. Rescue me from the grip of the wrongdoer and the oppressor. Because you are my hope, Lord. You, Lord, are the one I've trusted since childhood. I've depended on you from birth. You cut the cord when I came from my mother's womb. My praise is always with you. Our sermon text comes from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Jesus went down to the city of Capernaum in Galilee and taught the people each Sabbath. They were amazed by his teachings because he delivered his message with authority. A man in the synagogue had the spirit of an unclean demon. He screamed, Hey! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, 
You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The demon threw the man down before them, then came out of him without harming him. They were all shaken and said to each other, What kind of word is this? That he can command unclean spirits with authority and power, and they leave. Reports about him spread everywhere in the surrounding region. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went home with Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and the family asked Jesus to help her. He bent over her and spoke harshly to the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and served them. Then the sun was setting. Everyone brought to Jesus relatives and acquaintances with all kinds of diseases. Placing his hands on each of them, he healed them. Demons also came out of many people. They screamed, you are God's son. But he spoke harshly to them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they recognized that he was the Christ. When daybreak arrived, Jesus went to a deserted place and the crowds were looking for him. When they found him, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of God's kingdom in other cities too, for this is why I was sent. So he continued preaching in the Judean synagogues. The word of God for the people of God. So for the last several weeks, we have had different stories that take place at the start of Jesus' ministry. And aside from turning water into wine, which is found in John, all of them have been in Luke. Now, when Luke compiled these stories, when Luke wrote this gospel, remember, he had a reason for doing this. There were already gospels floating around. Mark was known to Luke, which is why he quotes directly from it so often. But when they wrote these books, they weren't concerned so much with a linear progression of events or the things that we would associate in our modern minds with a biography. So some of the stories take place differently or in a different location or in different order. That's true between Mark and Luke's Gospels. That doesn't mean they're any less trustworthy or true. But Luke was doing something specific at the start of his gospel. Remember, Luke, being a Gentile, a follower of Jesus, had a different perspective. So for Luke, what was important from the beginning was identifying Jesus... So who was this Jesus? And by what authority did he speak and preach and teach? And what power did he have? Identity, authority, and power were vital for Luke in crafting this gospel of Jesus Christ. So we start off with the baptism of Jesus. Jesus' identity is confirmed. John baptizes Jesus, the heavens open, a dove descends, and a voice declares, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. In turning water into wine in John, 
and in healings in Luke. Jesus has command and authority even over the elements of creation. Nothing seems to be impossible for him. And when he teaches in the synagogue, which seems to be a weekly occurrence, people recognize right away the power of his words and the power with which he teaches. Who Jesus is, the power he brings, and the authority he has were vital to understanding the rest of Jesus' story. Identity, power, and authority are topics that we hear about often in our modern context. I read a lot of modern kind of theologians writing about the current state of the church and different avenues of the church, and these three topics come up all the time. Where do we find our identity? How do we use power? And by what authority do we act in this world? Let's start with identity. Identity is defined, if you look in the dictionary, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. I wonder what job, what the job is like to craft definitions of words. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is or a close similarity or affinity. That's a pretty sterile way to talk about identity because identity is so vital and important to us. We want to know who we are. You've heard of the identity crisis, right? When we stumble, when we all of a sudden don't know who we are and how that affects our lives. More comically often is the idea of a midlife crisis. Have you ever known someone to go through a midlife crisis? All of a sudden they may dye their hair or get it cut differently or buy some kind of outrageous car or go on some kind of trip, kind of abandon responsibility. Our identity is important for us. We need to know who we are. And when that's challenged, It has tremendous consequences. We've seen that a lot play out in real time in the last few years. How we define who we are, more than maybe we thought, is often through other people. We define ourselves through others. We define ourselves through our political party. We define ourselves through where we work or what we do for a living. We define ourselves through the church, or church membership, or church activities. And when these things were challenged in the last couple of years, chaos ensued. And people just wanted to get back to what they were, what they understood, and how they felt. As a pastor working in the church, talking with other pastors working in the church, I think one of the things that was illuminated in this pandemic and in everything that's happened in this country in the last couple of years is 
while we thought that people who attended church regularly, people who practiced faith, while we thought that faith would be a primary place that people found their identity, what we learned is that that is not the case. And in fact, we were way off. The number one place people find identity is their political beliefs. That's what we learned in the church. That's how people divided into camps, based on their politics, the politicians they follow. And it's caused a lot of turmoil for us. But if we look at it, it makes sense. You're here one hour a week, but you're consuming information from other places the other 126 hours or whatever it is. So we're wrestling with that. Where do we find our identity? For Luke, he wanted to be clear that his identity and those who sought to follow Jesus found their identity in Jesus, in who Jesus is as God's son as the Messiah, the anointed one, the one long promised to usher in the kingdom of God. The second, power. Jesus spoke with power. Jesus did things to demonstrate power. Power over normal elements of life, like water or wine. Power over disease and illness through healing power over scripture and how he taught and interpreted for people. And people who saw Jesus teach, saw him heal, recognized that power. But power is not something that was only found in Jesus. Power is something that exists in our world in many places. Have you ever been in a position of power? I would guess for most people, the answer is yes, if you think about it. At some point in your life, you have had power over other people. That might be through work, through your position at work. But it might be through things you were born with that you can't control. The color of your skin, your gender, your status in our culture. Power is the capacity to direct or influence the behavior of others or course of events. The other thing, those within the church who are watching kind of the larger church have been baffled by is the number of scandals of people in power within churches. One after another after another fall over and over again. Why does that keep happening? Does the power corrupt people when they get it? Or are certain people attracted to those positions? But the damage is clear. For each one that falls, we are all hurt in the church. And our capacity to preach the good news, the thing Jesus came to preach, is damaged every time. 
and those outside the church, those hurt by the church, those who walk away because of it, are justified. The work of healing becomes so much more difficult. How do we use power? How did Jesus use power? The third is authority. Jesus spoke with an authority that was instantly recognized by those who were there. Authority is tied to power. It's kind of the authorization to use power, to influence, or to give orders, or to make decisions, or to enforce obedience. We all have authority in different capacities. At different times in our life, it'll look differently. Where does our authority come from? What Luke wanted to make sure people understood was Jesus' authority came from God. It didn't come from the scriptures that he read from. It didn't come from the synagogues that he preached and taught at. didn't come from the religious leaders of his day and the temple. Jesus' authority came directly from God. And through that authority, his ministry in this world of reconciliation, of redemption, of healing, was made possible. As we see the beginning of Luke and how Luke is crafting this picture of who Jesus is, it still applies to us today. And it can help us with these questions and crises that we're under about who we are, what power we have, and the authority that it comes from. Because as the world sees power and authority as something to hoard and to collect and to hold on to, as something to hold over others, Jesus' example is very different. While Jesus claims authority and power directly from God, authority to command the elements of nature and to transform them, the authority to heal, he didn't hold power over others. He used that power to lower himself and serve others. That is how Jesus moved in this world. That's the example that he made for us and how we are to respond to having power and having authority. And our identity should solely rest in the person of Jesus and being a child of God and being created in the image of God and nowhere else. Because from that place, all other things will flow. How we treat others, how we treat ourselves, how we act in this world, how we love, or how we hate. 
Those things will either come from our understanding of our identity in Christ or from wherever it is that we're finding our identity. And unfortunately, those things have become mashed up and unrecognizable sometimes. You have people in churches who are claiming that it's okay to hate the right people, that that is somehow justifiable and godly. Or people who gleefully share memes that are degrading to others, because those are the other people. They don't count. I'm right, they're wrong. We have a flag flying across the street, whichever that way, the let's go Brandon flag. Something you wouldn't tolerate from an 11-year-old. How we treat others is a window into where we're finding our identity, what we're doing with our power and authority. And the ends don't justify the means. Stories like this are challenging for us. We haven't even gotten to the demon part, which I'd planned to get to, but now that seems like it'd be extra. Jesus had command over all elements of this world, however they're defined, and used those to heal what was broken, to usher in God's kingdom, one that would be defined not by warfare and bloodshed and power over, but a kingdom where peace would reign, where weapons would be beaten into plows and where no one would be outside of God's love, God's forgiveness, God's redemption. where there would be equity and equality, where we would stop seeing things as so limited to where we have to hoard them for ourselves. Our challenge today as people who are seeking to follow Jesus is to recognize within ourselves, where are we finding our identity? What are our views on power and our own power? And do we even recognize our own power? I had to go through one year of chaplain residency to recognize that I had power because I'm the adult child of an alcoholic. I didn't have any power growing up. And I had to be told by my supervisor, who was a great Anglican priest, and she said, you're a six-foot-tall, 200-and-some-plus-pound, white man who played football and did all these things and you have a lot of power. And I thought, that's ridiculous. And after months of arguing with that, I had to accept that it's true. What do I do with that power now that I recognize it? Do I hold power over others? Do I seek out more of it for myself? Personal glory. Or do I set that power to work for the betterment of others? 
Do I lower myself to raise others up? Do I follow Jesus' example? We're a month away from the start of Lent, a season in the church's calendar that's about introspection and kind of slowing down and examining ourselves. Begin the process of looking within, recognizing for yourself who you are, the power you have, and how you use it, and where your authority comes from. And then we can all gather together as the church, as those called to be the church, and to pool our power and to pool our authority to go out into the world and to heal what is broken, to fix what sin has destroyed, to claim the power Jesus gave us. We are not powerless. We are not at the will of culture or the world. We have power to act and to usher in God's kingdom for everyone. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 